It's one o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. The headlines. The chief executive shrugs off what she calls Western media attacks on the SAR's status as a global financial hub. Mrs Lam also stresses that protecting Hong Kong from the pandemic is its top priority after postponing a travel bubble. And the incoming Catholic Bishop of Hong Kong warns against assuming that Beijing is the enemy. The chief executive, Carrie Lam, has dismissed what she called attacks from Western media on Hong Kong's status as a global financial hub. She said freezing the assets of national security suspect Jimmy Lai showed the government was serious about enforcing the law to protect Hong Kong and the nation's security, and it would boost rather than undermine the city's financial status. Mrs Lam also says protecting the city from COVID-19 is the foremost priority after the government postponed a travel bubble with Singapore that was to start next Wednesday. At a weekly press briefing, she said she recognised the importance of resuming normal activities such as overseas travel, but said these shouldn't compromise the safety of people. We will not sort of sacrifice this very important mission just because we want to rush to resume travel. This highly responsible attitude is being displayed by Singapore and Hong Kong in postponing for a second time the air travel bubble. And I hope this is well appreciated by the people of Hong Kong and also by the global community. Mrs Lam also acknowledged that Hong Kong could do better in terms of its vaccination rate with some 2 million vaccine doses still in storage. She said the government had launched its so-called outreach vaccination service under which companies with large enough venues could apply for a medical team to come out and inoculate staff. And Mrs Lam says she and the civil service are broad-minded and can take criticism after her predecessor, C.Y. Leung, took a shot at what he called the government's lack of efficiency in resolving housing problems. Mr Leung said recently that civil servants didn't have what he called the do-it-or-die attitude and departments could spend weeks circulating papers, but nothing got done. In response, Mrs Lam said everybody has the right to criticise the government, but they should also understand that the civil service has the job of running a complicated city. The incoming Bishop of Hong Kong, Stephen Charles, says the church shouldn't assume that Beijing is an enemy. Meeting the media a day after his appointment was announced, Father Charles said he didn't know if it had been approved by Beijing, as that was a matter between China and the Vatican. His appointment comes after the Catholic Diocese left the post vacant for two years. Father Chow also said prudence is a virtue when he was asked if he'd refrain from commenting on contentious political issues. I think it's wise for me to comment on matters, for example, China, on matters that I don't quite understand, I don't have enough information or knowledge about it. That would be rash, I think. But uh, it's not because I'm afraid, but I think I believe that prudence is also a virtue. The government says its economic trade and cultural office in Taiwan has temporarily suspended operations with immediate effect. A spokesman says it has nothing to do with the COVID-19 situation on the island, but had no further comment. In a brief statement, the government said Hong Kong residents who need help can call the SAR service hotlines or go to its website. Meanwhile, Tom, Taiwan's top official in Washington, Xiao Bi Kim, says she's negotiating with the United States for a share of COVID-19 vaccine doses that President Biden plans to send abroad. Taiwan has reported more than 700 new local cases over the past week and received about 300,000 doses of the AstraZeneca jab for its population of more than 23 million people. The U.S. has announced an increase in the number of doses it'll send abroad as warnings continue about a lack of supplies in poorer countries. 
President Biden said the US wouldn't be safe until the virus was under control globally. He said the doses wouldn't be used to secure favours from other countries, an apparent criticism of Russia and China, who have been accused of vaccine diplomacy. This means over the next six weeks, the United States of America will send 80 million doses overseas. That represents 13% of the vaccines produced by the United States by the end of June. This will be more vaccines than any country has actually shared to date, five times more than any other country. And President Biden voiced his support for a ceasefire after eight days of violence between Israel and Palestinian militants in Gaza. During a phone call to the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Mr Biden said the US was working with Egypt and others towards halting hostilities. Since the violence began, 200 people have been killed in Gaza and 10 in Israel. Meanwhile, a shipment of medicines and medical supplies from Egypt was delivered to health officials in Gaza. Much of Gaza is already without power, which is affecting basic services. Mohammed Buraya is a doctor in the territory. The situation in Gaza is becoming worse and worse. The hospitals are suffering from shortage of electricity. And you can imagine what's meaning of this. The ventilators, in the ICU rooms, in the operation rooms. And also we need electricity and need also water to, to clean and to make sterilization. The U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case from the state of Mississippi challenging Roe v. Wade, a 1973 ruling that gave American women the right to an abortion. The BBC's Gary O'Donoghue reports from Washington. This will be the biggest abortion case to come before the Supreme Court in 30 years. At essence, it challenges the 50-year-old precedent that an abortion is permitted up until the point that a fetus could survive outside the womb, roughly 24 to 28 weeks. If passed, the Mississippi law could drive a coach and horses through Roe v. Wade, the 1973 landmark case that affirmed a woman's constitutional right to seek a termination prior to viability. The six conservative and three liberal justices will begin hearing the case towards the end of the year. President Biden has released his tax returns for the past year, restoring a long-standing tradition that was broken by his predecessor, Donald Trump. Mr Biden and his wife, Jill, earned $607,000 last year. Just over a quarter of their income was paid in tax. The head of Russia's Foreign Intelligence Service, the SVR, has brushed aside U.S. crit allegations that his agency was behind a massive cyber attack, the SolarWinds hack. The BBC's Steve Rosenberg reports from Moscow. Washington believes that the SVR was behind the giant solar winds hack. The SVR's director told the BBC there was no proof. Sergei Narishkin described accusations the Russian state had launched cyber attacks, meddled in elections and poisoned people as absurd, pathetic, like a bad crime novel. He accused Britain of engaging in open confrontation with Moscow. But Mr Narishkin revealed the SVR had now resumed contact with MI6. He described correspondence between the two agencies as respectful. At least 20 people have been killed by the most powerful storm in decades to hit the Indian state of Gujarat. Cyclone Toktai has now begun to weaken as it passes over land. 200,000 residents were moved away from the path of the storm. Coronavirus patients were among those evacuated as India battles a second wave of infections. The cyclone failed trees and power lines and tore off roofs as it travelled up the country's west coast. 
Spain is deploying the army in its North African enclave of Ceuta to stem a huge wave of migrants from Morocco. A record 5,000 have arrived. Spanish officials have accused Morocco of using the migrants as blackmail. Members of Brazil's indigenous Yanomami tribe have, say they've been attacked by a large group of illegal gold miners inside the reservation in the country's Amazon region. It's the second attack against the Yanomami in a week. Here's the BBC's Leonardo Rocha. Tribal leaders said that armed men arrived in at least 15 boats and fired tear gas canisters at them. Thousands of gold diggers operate illegally inside the Yanomami reserve. Indigenous rights groups say they're probably trying to intimidate the tribe so they don't block access to the river areas where they prospect for gold. The number of attacks against tribes like the Yanomami has increased sharply since President Jair Bolsonaro took office, promising to allow mining, logging and farming in indigenous lands. New research suggests the total number of wild birds on the planet is at least 50 billion, but could be as high as 430 billion. The study was published in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Here's the BBC's Helen Briggs. Counting the number of wild birds in the world is no easy task. Scientists turn to a database known as eBird, where bird watchers record sightings of everything from woodpeckers to herons to ospreys. The house sparrow tops the charts, followed closely by the European starling, the ring-billed gull and the barn swallow. But while a few species can be found in abundance, most are rare. 12% of species have population estimates of fewer than 5,000 individuals. The researchers say their snapshot of the global bird population will help in efforts to stop extinctions. Japan's economy contracted 1.3% in the three months to March after the government reimposed virus restrictions in major cities as infections surged. The quarter-on-quarter fall came after the world's third-largest economy grew for two quarters to December, but the expansion was stopped in its case by a rise in coronavirus cases. The government imposed a new state of emergency in January in response, urging people to stay at home and calling for restaurants to close earlier. That slowed consumption and hit growth. The 1.3% contraction was largely in line with forecasts. One of the world's biggest beef exporters, Argentina, has suspended all foreign sales of meat for the next month. The government said it was trying to control rising prices on the domestic market. Annual inflation in Argentina is approaching 50%. Some consumers complain they can no longer afford to buy beef as staple in Argentina. The U.S. telecommunications giant AT&T has announced the merger of its film and television unit, Warner Media, with its rival, Discovery, in a deal worth $43 billion U.S. dollars. The merger is driven by the increasingly competitive global streaming business. The BBC's Michelle Fleury explains. It's spinning off its media assets, joining forces with Discovery to show that they think bigger is better when it comes to competing in streaming. We've seen companies like Netflix and Disney really come to dominate the streaming space. And so AT&T is saying we need to kind of bulk up to try and get the scale we need to try and compete with these companies. It shows just how tough it is at the moment to win that streaming wars as people are describing it. Currencies now and the US dollar is trading at 109.22 yen. The euro stands at one US dollar and 21 cents. The pound is worth 11 Hong Kong dollars exactly. A short time ago, the Hang Seng Index was at 28,556, 358 points up on the previous close. Turnover stands at $72 billion. 
To sport, and we start with English football's championship playoff, where Bournemouth were 1-0 winners at home over Brentford in the first leg of their semi-final tie. There was also a 1-0 win for Swansea in their semi-final first leg away to Barnsley. The winner of the playoff will join Norwich and Watford in the Premier League next season. In other football news, the Manchester United manager, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, says his players have been affected by fans' protests over the club's ownership. Last week, United were beaten by Leicester City and Liverpool in the English Premier League as a congested schedule combined with fan discontent disrupted their preparations. I just didn't want to use that as an excuse because we, we lost the two games, but surely it's uh, reason behind uh, the performances and the results we've had. Physically, it is impossible for them to, uh, to turn up uh, and play at the intensity at the, and the level that's required. Um, because the, the amount of games. Then you look at the preparation uh, in between. Uh, you haven't had the recovery in between. You haven't had the, the same routine as you normally do. We hadn't do the. We haven't done the tactical prep in the same way as we've had. So of course, I'm not saying that it didn't affect them. But I was impressed by how professional and how they went about it because they, they did. There was none of them who complained, and that's that's. That's one of the big things for me, that you, we, we never complain, we never look outwards, we just look at what we can do, uh, how can we maximise the situation, and we tried to do that, but we, we couldn't get the results, but the players have been good as gold, now they've had a couple of days off, and we're fresh and ready, and we prepare as normal uh, for this, um, this, um, these last two games. Zinedine Zidane has denied telling his players that he'll resign as Real Madrid coach at the end of the season. He was asked about his future after his team's 1-0 win at Bilbao on Sunday. The win put them two, point, two points behind the leaders Atletico Madrid heading into the final weekend of action in La Liga. Juan Castro from Marca.com believes Zidane's future is already settled and it doesn't depend on the outcome of the title race. One thing is sure, uh, it doesn't depend on uh, if Real Madrid is champion or not. I mean, Sinéin uh, Zidane has already decided his decision, so uh, he knows what he's going to do. And my opinion, and we publish in Market that is that Sinéin Zidane won't be the coach next season. But he knows already the, the decision. Uh, why he, he won't be in the, in the, in the charge? Because... Uh, I think uh, his desire is not that uh, Florentino Perez wants to sack him. And to end the news, the top stories once again. The chief executive shrugs off what she calls Western media attacks on the SAR's status as a global financial hub. Mrs Lam also stresses that protecting Hong Kong from the pandemic is the top priority after postponing a travel bubble. And the incoming Catholic Bishop of Hong Kong warns against assuming that Beijing is the enemy. The news from RTHK. Come on, come on, get on, get up, look like You're enjoying my company, home You said you can't change the world You're not the one of my fools You were born to have my baby now Don't cry, my precious one Cause I ain't got no sympathy for you And I am, I feel like I wanna bite his head off Yeah, that'd be fun Cause I sure got an appetite I click my heels together three times 
feel like I wanna smash his face in Yeah, that'd be fun Cause I sure got a fist for a fight I click my heels together three times It worked a little but nothing happened And the big bad wolf's still in my bed Afternoon and welcome to the One Two Three Show with me, Noreen Mir, on this Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday, the 18th of May, is today's date. Many thanks once again to Phil for the morning brew today. And we have a busy program for you. In about 10 minutes or so, we'll be talking about teaching and learning Chinese as a second language at international schools. And we'll be chatting with Louisa Yen, who's a senior lecturer at the Faculty of Education at the University of Hong Kong. And of course, we hope to bring you that chat over Facebook as well. So do join us there this afternoon. Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3 is the page to go to. And after the 2.30 news, we'll be hearing about an upcoming exhibition on migrant workers here in Hong Kong, organized by Coexist.